Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So one of the observations on Tuesday night when people were answering this question and, and some of the folks in the room were talking about the warm blankets and the smell of autumn and seeing the color. When we really think about seasons, in order to appreciate them, awareness has to be there. And nature very often naturally draws out this mindful tendency to be present in the moment through noticing through the sense doors. And when we're present and here, at ease, calm, there's so much appreciation, so much natural appreciation. So are we appreciating our favorite season or is awareness helping us know it? And by knowing, we're appreciating. Is it awareness? Or is it the object? So, it's interesting. There's so much that we know. What brings us here is this um, practice of the present moment, of present moment awareness, whether we're meditating on the cushion, we're present to the breath and the thoughts, or we're present in our lives and we're having... We're pausing for some stillness or present moment awareness, or we're meeting what's ever happening with an awareness. And there's so much um, to be mined from those beautiful, deep moments. As you know, sometimes you're in the moment and present, and there's a feeling of peace or ease. Other times, you're noticing that you're less reactive and maybe a little more wisdom is coming in and skillful behavior. Sometimes you're kinder, you can sense your heart or feel another person's heart. And there's love and compassion. Other times you're present with others and you just feel oneness and connection. There's so many beautiful qualities to this practice of uh, awareness cultivating awareness and in mindfulness we're aware of objects that are coming and going through our sense doors including thoughts and the simple practice brings this many facets of being many facets of being and and sometimes that beingness that awareness uh, feels so shimmering so alive even when things are difficult, even in the face of difficulty. Or maybe we're equanimous with it. We're accepting, we're not thrown off balance. It's another thing that happens and that we, we, we explore is uh, sometimes our thoughts and who we take ourselves to be and all the narrative about ourselves, whether it's negative or positive, dissolves a little and calms down. So I'm sure some of the reason why you came today and why you practice is the benefits 
of uh, finding this stillness, finding this quiet of mind. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about is that um, we're on the cushion, practicing present moment, maybe you're walking, you're doing some household chore, or you're driving, there's the present moment. Much harder when we're speaking and relating. And yet, it's a great way to practice mindfulness. Great way. And we'll be doing some classes here, four classes on Wednesday nights starting May 15th. Um, just working on that. So I'll tell you a few stories about mindful practice, with <coughs> speech and relationship, or mindless practice with speech or relationship, <laughs> to give you a little taste example. The other day, um, I was in the kitchen, and uh, Joel was there, my husband, and we were rushing to get things done, get a meal done, get on our way. And uh, we stopped. I was um, cooking some eggs on the stove, and he was rinsing some vegetables. And we simultaneously said, I said, you're letting the water run, and you're wasting water. And he said, you've got the eggs on the wrong burner, and you're wasting gas. <laughs> and I thought, this is an example, right, of what we do in our relationships. It's so funny. We really stopped and laughed. It's a good moment. But uh, you could, we could get so lost in what the other person is doing wrong or not doing right to my standards that we don't even notice what I'm doing. <laughs> and what's so interesting about that moment is that um, you could get caught in a story or an argument, right, of who's right, or to say we both are so um, wanting to be a good steward of the earth, and we're feeling maybe some anxiety about it, but our shared humanity is trying to change our behavior to uh, do better for the planet. That could get lost like that into an argument. Like that, it could get lost. Second moment. Trying to do a teaching through showing you. <laughs> Never mind. Okay, so moment number two. Oh, it's a Sunday evening. And we were sitting at the table having a late dinner. And uh, we both hadn't gotten a lot of sleep the night before. Um, sometimes the dog, who's not feeling very well, will keep us up. And I noticed, I'm talking, I'm eating, sitting at the table, but this um, just achiness in the area of the chest, it was just fatigue in the body was really there. And it was unpleasant, I didn't like it, and I wanted to push it away. Oh, I don't like that feeling of tired, right? You've, you've experienced that. And the next thing I knew, I was looking for something to be irritable about with the other people at the table. Have you experienced that? Isn't that amazing? So what is that? What is that? The Buddha taught on that. He taught on that, and he called those hindrances or defilements. And these are um, what we would refer to as sometimes um, 
in monasteries, they would say, your friendly cousins are visiting. Your friendly cousins are visiting. These hindrances, these things that get in the way of present moment experience, skillful behavior, mindful, skillful speech, that we all have these friendly cousins that come. Just like if we walked outside and it was raining, you would get raindrops on you. It doesn't matter if you're a good person or a bad person or a smart person or a not-so-smart person or a person with you know ill will. You're going to get wet. And just that's what hindrances are. They're there as we're born. They're with us. And they they're serve their own purpose. So uh, going back to the table and feeling like, oh, I don't feel good. Right? There's I rejection, um, in aversion. I don't want it. That's a hindrance. Not wanting and feeling aversive, rejecting to what's happening, whether it's internal or external. Very natural. Nothing is wrong with it per se. But with mindful awareness, knowing it, that becomes a doorway to wisdom and skillful behavior and knowing the truth of the way things are, deepening our experience. And without that awareness, it's easy to then take that aversion and put it on somebody else. Even our loved ones, right? Even if we don't mean it, we just do it. And with it is desire, the desire to get rid of, the desire for something else. I don't want to feel this way and I desire it. So these are two of the hindrances. The others are sleepiness and tired. We call it sloth and torpor. And you might have had that in your meditation this morning. Yeah. And then there's doubt. Why should I meditate at all? Or why should I be mindful at all? <laughs> there are days like that. Maybe I should just have martinis and <laughs> appetizers, I don't know. <laughs> right? There's that doubt that creeps in. Um, and then there's the agitation or anxiety, worry. And these are just normal, normal um, tendencies. Inherently, nothing terribly wrong unless we're caught and we cling on and we're lost in the content, and then our behavior becomes unskillful or harming to ourselves or others, well, then they're a problem, right? But otherwise, they're just natural human tendencies. And if you give an average human being enough stress, and I think our lives are stressful, they're really challenging, we're, they're going to come up. You know? They're going to come up. So, um, so let's see. Rumi says... Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. The world is too full to talk about. So how do we get out beyond these ideas of right-doing and wrongdoing? How do we see in relationship this subtle or sometimes obvious grasping, wanting, pushing away, rejecting, desiring something, whether we're desiring to feel good for in a relationship or about something, or we want to be seen a certain way, we want something back, right? 
we don't want to hear what that person is saying. We don't want to engage or we want them to be different. We want them to have a different behavior. You know, these are the kinds of the things that can get in the way of the field of relating. And so easy. And again, I, I don't want the inner critic to come in and judge us. This is just what happens. But when, when these things can drop a little bit, when they drop and slow down, relating becomes richer and more nourishing and more fulfilling. And we have some more intimacy. And I've been talking about this in a number of Dharma talks, so I just want to keep moving the dialogue forward and adding a couple of things into this. So, um, and practice that. Just have a conversation with someone where you're just listening, no agenda. And you're out there with your heart, listening. And see what that feels like. Feels really alive for me and warm and nurturing and nourishing and uh, the connections deep um, and we crave this so much for good reason it's healthy for our brain uh, and Sangha is literally about awakening together like having another to awaken with is key so um, some of what we're re relaxing, and I created this little acronym for myself to practice in, and I've been trying to practice this with um, a difficult conversation. Has anybody had a difficult conversation recently? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so I, I've been playing around with the acronym, and uh, it's called Give Yourself a Pass, not, not Have the Difficult Conversation, but Relate and Find a Different Way of Being with the Difficult Conversation. And I've been practicing. Part of me felt so lazy about the talk today. Holidays have a, t a lazy tone for me. But I thought, this actually works, so <laughs> it's good to share. <laughs> felt some energy around it. So it's PASS, P-A-S-S. -S. Pause. Pause. Allow relaxation. Soften to the moment. Soften. And sense your body. Just the hardest thing, sense your body. And uh, what we're relaxing, sometimes we have to relax the facial muscles behind the eyes, the muscular, you know, when you have, you're, you're muscling up for a conversation, the body muscles up, like, right? So allowing some relaxation and softening to a shared humanity. There's something that you and this other person shares and wants. Maybe you want peace. Maybe you both want happiness. Maybe you both want prosperity. Maybe you both want to be understood. Uh, maybe you both want good health. Or There's always a shared humanity underneath a difficult conversation. And the way to the present moment very often is your body. Because your body's in the moment. And sometimes we have to feel and sense ourselves 
to be effective with others. If we're not knowing ourselves, it's hard to know the other. Right? So sensing and feeling your body as you speak <coughs> is a tough one, but a valuable practice. I don't think it's a popular practice, but it's a valuable practice. And uh, if you can soften and have relaxation, very often that sense of self, the armor of me and my defenses can come down a little bit and just soften a little bit. And I'll read a little bit what Gregory Kramer says about this. So I really like it. Um, he says... don't have the right glasses on, so please forgive me. If you are with others, in speaking or in silence, receive external experience, the other people, just as you receive the internal experience of your thoughts and emotions. Their faces touch your eyes. This may be impossible. Um, and being received without resistance or fear. And when we receive people without resistance or fear, he says, kindness arises. When their face touches your eyes, without your resistance or fear, kindness naturally arises. Their, um, their voices touch you, your ears, and their words touch your mind. And then um, there is no aversion. There's no aversion. When there's no aversion, there's loving kindness, right? The absence of aversion is kindness. Sometimes it's equanimity, but it's just kind. No agenda, you're kind. Right? Um, Okay, so these are my reading glasses. They're very interesting. Okay. So, <laughs> this is natural and deeply conditioned response. We just meet it with acceptance and kindness. We let it go. Again, we meet the moment internally with others and relax. Again, we accept. Naturally, love emerges. More than its act, this is a shift of the heart-mind that lets loving kindness set the tone of the moment. Okay. And there was one other thing that I wanted to read. Just uh, as the pause, and we talked about pause, is where stillness meets reactivity. In relax, when we're relaxing, love meets suffering. When this occurs, healing happens. It happens on the spot. Awareness is yielded in love. The confused and hurting heart loosens its tight bindings. Loving awareness permeates the fibers of the aching and confused body-mind, and the protective grip softens. As the heart begins to yield, basic hungers diminish, and the rigid sense of self softens. The whole of wants 
no longer needs to be filled. Shame no longer insists in hiding without uh, fuel, and the flames of anger have nothing to burn. Love meets suffering also means love meets stillness and mindfulness, I think. <laughs> mindfulness. Tension and chaos are accepted. Um, and I'll stop here. So, so if we can soften these friendly visitors, right? They're not so much us, but conditions of life like rain or snow or leaves falling. If we can soften that through pausing and sensing the body, knowing yourself, awareness, uh, then we can meet each other in that field, right? Out beyond the field. And I know sometimes I'll have conversations and I could feel the friendly visitors. It might be, um, I'm a little worried that you won't like what I have to say or that I don't feel adequate or you might see my inadequacy or you're judging. So a little wall is up there and they're suffering with that. It's suffering. It's really a challenge to let that down. Or um, I need something from you. I need you to like me or validate me or validate my sense of me or laugh at my joke, <laughs> my story, right? There's a little bit of suffering there. So we'll practice together, um, and we're a nice, intimate group. We'll do some practice. Does that sound good? You're, you're good with that? Okay. Um, I think there's one other thing before we practice I want to read. This is the book from um, Ashin Tejaniya, Don't Look Down on the Defilements, They'll Laugh at You. Right? And he's saying if we ignore our friendly visitors, they get a hold of us and they laugh at us, right? Or we can laugh at them. So, uh, Defilements are the same as hindrances? Yeah, okay. they're the same as hindrances, yeah. If you are aware, just be glad that you are aware. That is the right attitude. So when you are confronted by a hindrance or a defilement, and are aware of it, be glad that you are aware of this defilement, even if it does not seem to dissolve. The long, as long as you are aware of the defilement, you are doing well. So it doesn't have to go away. You just, just knowing it is that doorway, right? Defilements are part of the Dhamma. They're part of all experience. Uh, do not reject them. He says, a yogi got disappointed when the defilement quickly disappeared. I would not be disappointed. <laughs> not that she wanted the defilement, but that she was very keen to learn from them, uh, to understand them. This should be your attitude when you are faced with the defilement, to just be curious and want to learn from it. Hey, what's it here for? What's going on? We've got to see these things. And then there's one more that I'll read. Try to recognize that defilement as simply defilements that are not your defilements. Every time you identify yourself with them 
or reject them, you are only increasing the strength. So, in other words, they're not so personal. They're not so personal. If you uh, had an itch and you went to scratch it, you wouldn't make the itch all about you. Everybody gets itchy, <laughs> right? Or you're really thirsty and you need water. You wouldn't, you know, it's not about you. People get thirsty. Well, the defilements are just simply like that too. You know, they're, they're maybe more mental, cognitive states, but they're just universal conditions of the mind and of the body, right? When you're sleepy, you don't take it so personally most of the time. You're like, yeah, the body needs sleep. Right? Similarly, we don't have to get aversive to these, these tendencies because they visit everybody. So we're going to practice a little bit, okay? And maybe groups of three, and if, they're, if you need to, have four, but try to have three. <laughs> Who would like to share what the experience was like, what you noticed, what came up for you? Who would like to share? Yes. I was just telling them um, that I had difficulties staying with my body if I had empathy. What the other person, it seems like I can't feel myself if I really want to listen a hundred percent. I and that need to give empathy to what to the person. That's what came up for me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. For me, I noticed that um, in my experience, uh, when I'm with someone else and they're sharing something that's perhaps uh, painful, um, and I feel that the pain too, uh, in that first moment, I notice that my body will tend to, you know, perhaps, you know, have an aversion. I don't want to feel that pain that other person is feeling. But when I take a deep breath, when I exhale, um, there's a softening that happens. And then therefore, I'm, it's almost like I'm absorbing some of their pain or sharing the pain with them. Um, and then that because uh, there's a softening in my body, perhaps they feel the softening too. And so then there's a bit of an opening and just a, a space around that. And so then the conversation can just kind of move forward from there with just a more soften, softening. Great. Yes. I, I was the first person to speak, but so was he. And 
<laughs> that's my dad. Um, and it was, yeah, so it was really interesting to hear his voice. I was trying to be present, but I could hear it. And in a crowd, it always stands out. Yeah, 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 because wow. I know that voice so well. And so what I shared with the group is it was like this kind of like melding, right? Is in the summertime on the East Coast, is uh, we had a beautiful porch in our old house um, in Pennsylvania. And he and I used to sit on that porch and have really deep meaningful conversations and I think that I think if we could put words to it now it would be that we were just so present with one another and I thought that that was just so special it was well thank you for sharing that with all of us I know I'm feeling <laughs> too. oh that's so beautiful yeah yeah uh, yeah, I, I would say. Oh no, no, no! That's right. I was listening to when she was talking. Uh -huh. yeah. She's like, "Oh, that's like like my dad." That I didn't. Uh. That, now it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like her dad. Yeah. I, like I think I just heard the like, but yeah. it, she said that that's my dad. Uh. Wow. I I don't know. I think you would agree. Out of all the wonderful gifts in the world, that intimacy with a dad. A daughter with a dad is mm -hmm. probably one of the best gifts there is. Right? Mm -hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. I know, look at the tearful. I know we're all feeling that. <laughs> we're feeling that. That's good. Anybody else want to share the experience? Yeah. Well, um, I thought our group was... It was really so nice to be able, and everybody said such meaningful things, and uh, it's really much easier in some ways to be with someone in which I don't have any ego involvement with, although that's really wonderful what you just said, uh, because I was sharing about my husband who can't seem to figure out what goes in the recycle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Anyway, I, I, I told him I thought he was learning disabled when it came to research. <laughs> uh, probably wasn't the best strategy. Um, but, you know, I mean, and, and I, I know how goofy that whole thing is because I spend a lot more time instructing him than if I just took the stuff out and put it out. But uh, what, what we were here was to be able to listen to him. And, of course, it's so easy to accept what other people say that they struggle with because I'm not involved. But just telling me why isn't quite so easy for me to take in. So ego ends up being such a big uh, impediment. But the other thing that I realized is that I put the keys in my hand um, to be able to be in touch with what I'm doing when they're talking and also when I'm talking. And um, that sort of helped, but it's still hard not to get, say, really involved in what Joe or Bruce is saying and or what I am. It, but it does help to be in touch with both my feelings and what I'm listening to, just being aware of both of those. Yeah, that's something that Elsie mentioned that you can hold an object to sense your body when you're talking. You can try doing that. Yeah. Holding an object and sensing the object to sense your body. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I was sharing that when I'm talking to my friends, for example, sometimes I feel like I don't have a lot of time because I'm I have a lot to say, and then I'm worried they're going to cut me off. Mm. 
And so then I think that makes me want to talk faster. And then I think that makes them want to cut me off more. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Has that happened to you? Or variations in the variations on the theme. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? One more? Yes. Um, I. I take this practice to, that we did today, not the overall mindfulness practice, but this exercise as maybe a bit, you know, like practicing to be a basketball player, you might shoot hoops over and over and over and over, just practice that one skill, you know, your three-point shot over and over and over. Because it's a little, it's a little bit um, out of context. And when I'm speaking with someone, interacting in my daily life, visiting my in-laws, talking to my parents or whatever, um, I feel maybe it's most useful to check in with my body, but that I can't really conduct a lot of my conversations if I were, like, as if I were on the cushion, sort of, in my body, that I would, <laughs> that I wouldn't remember some specific details and I wouldn't sort of get into the dynamic between me and that person that kind of makes makes the relationship work and you know so I think it's it's like practice and it's useful and but that I may do it sort of like in the next conversation I have I may actually do that do what we did here temporarily periodically like mm -hmm. in the course of the conversation because I just think practically there's a lot of conversations where I got to be really in my head, like really remembering a lot of things and really taking into account a lot of things I know about that person and about myself and, and sort of being really in my head. But if I can check back in, mm -hmm. that like that's right. going to prevent a hindrance from like coming up and taking over, you know, um, like that's where I'll see the hindrance come is in the periodic like check in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really an invitation to practice and see how it lands and where it lands for you. And the hardest part is remembering. Now, I want to go back to what you said before we stop, which is when that empathy arises and you're all there. I don't know. We'll have to ask. That could be... Um, it could be a lot of energy to be all there. And it can be, especially when you're in healthcare and teaching and giving fields, you have a sometimes a little compassion fatigue. And one way to work with that is to come back in, breathe, come down. Yeah. This happened to me a couple of days ago or maybe a week ago as a therapist I was sitting with a patient or client and they were telling this terrible story I mean if I could do anything to stop that story I would have and so would you and I noticed that there was stress and tension in my body uh, because I didn't want the story I didn't want to hear the story not that it I didn't want to hear the story as a therapist. 
I didn't want to hear the conditions that the person went through that were so sad and unjust. I was rejecting the story, not the person. And so that's that hindrance was coming up. I don't want it. At the same time, there was desire to fix it. I wanted it to be better for this person, really badly. And so I could feel my own suffering. And no matter how much awareness was present, I couldn't change the condition in myself. I couldn't do it. I just couldn't move off of it for a while. Eventually, it all calmed down. Um, but it took a long time. And so I was sitting in that suffering for a while. And when that happens, that's when we have compassion for ourselves for being human, right? This human being is the guest house. Lots of things visit. And in that moment, I didn't want the story he was telling, and I wanted it, aversion, desire. I wanted it to be different for him. I wanted to make it different, and I couldn't. Um, so sometimes we just have to be compassionate to this condition that's here now. Just like this, it's just like this, talking to this person who had a, a painful story. But by the end of that hour, it settled. It all settled, and we could meet in the field of the heart. You know, by the it just took some time. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.